Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, working to pioneer targeted lung cancer treatments and advance knowledge of diagnostic testing. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anish Chagpar, Susan Higgins, and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers is our way of providing you with the most up-to-date information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and cancer specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, Dr. Stephen Gore welcomes Dr. Sarah Goldberg. Dr. Goldberg is Assistant Professor of Medicine and Medical Oncology at the Yale School of Medicine, and Dr. Gore is Director of Hematological Malignancies at Smilo Cancer Hospital. Here's Dr. Stephen Gore. So a lung cancer, boy, you know, when I was an oncology fellow, which was, you know, a while ago, like in the late 1980s, lung cancer was, was pretty grim. And, uh, you know, the kind of rubric was if the surgeons couldn't get it out, the radiation oncologists would try to zap it out. Uh, and then there were a few really hardy medical oncologists. I remember Dave Ettinger at uh, Hopkins, who was a really aggressive guy. I don't know if you never knew Dave. Mm-hmm. And he would occasionally pull out some successes. But in general, we thought of lung cancer uh, in general as being kind of sad. And that seems to be changing, isn't it? It really is. So even in just the last year or two, so much has changed in lung cancer. And so I, I think it's a very exciting time to be practicing in this field and treating patients with lung cancer um, and seeing all the changes that's happened. There's there's so many changes, so much has, has happened in the development of new medications and the way we approach this disease that um, has changed everything about how we, we think about the, the disease. Can you explain to us the difference in the um, differences between the various roles of different kinds of physicians and um, practitioners in uh, the treatment of lung cancer. You are a medical oncologist. What what does that do exactly? Sure. So I think it's true for many types of cancer. I think maybe even more than any other cancer, lung cancer is, is true in the way that multidisciplinary type of care is so important. So I'm a medical oncologist, so I treat patients with medications um, for the most part. Um, and there's many other types of ways to treat lung cancer. You already alluded to it. So surgery and radiation are two of the other ways that we treat lung cancer. Um, and so there's surgical oncologists and radiation oncologists. And those are the three, I would say, main ways that we can treat lung cancer with surgery, radiation, or medications. Most people think of the medications that we use for lung cancer as chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And that was really the only medication that was possible to use um, for lung cancer until a couple of years ago. But that has even changed. So the medical oncologist role, my role, has changed because now we have other medicines, not just chemo. We also now have targeted therapies and immune therapies. So it's really not just all chemo for what I do. Um, but again, it's not even just the surgery and the radiation and the, the um, chemotherapy, the medical oncology side. There's also other um people that take care of patients with lung cancer. We have social workers and we have nurse practitioners and nurses. And so we really are multidisciplinary in the way that we approach uh, approach our patients. Well, shouldn't patients be worried that um, depending on to whom they get referred, they're going to be getting one kind of therapy and not another. And you know, if I see the surgeon, the surgeon's going to tell me, of course, that surgery is going to be curative. If I see you, it's just going to be chemo. And how does that, right. how does a patient negotiate that? Yeah. So, um, it's a, it's a good point. So, you know, usually when 
you see a particular type of doctor, the most important thing initially when you're diagnosed is what's the stage. So whatever type of doctor you start out seeing, they're always going to want to know what stage it is and what type of cancer it is, whatever whatever you're dealing with. Obviously, I treat lung cancer particularly, other types of, of thoracic cancers too, but mainly lung cancer. Um, but any kind of cancer, the stage is so important and specifically in solid tumors. Um, so... Whether you see a surgeon or a medical oncologist, we're going to want to know what stage it is. And what stage means is really where the cancer is in the body. And that really is important because it helps guide us in what's the best treatment. And that means is surgery the best way to go or is chemotherapy the best way to go or now is some of these other treatments like immune therapy the best way to go or, or radiation. So if you see me first or you see a surgeon first or a radiation doctor first, any one of us is going to do the same thing in terms of what type of cancer are we dealing with, and what stage is it? Again, meaning where is it in the body? And from there, we can really figure out what is the best treatment. So just because you see me doesn't mean I'm just going to automatically give you chemo or immune therapy, or just because you see a surgeon doesn't mean he's going to take you to the operating room and do a surgery. We're all going to figure out what are we dealing with, what specific type of cancer is it, because there's not just one type of lung cancer, Um, and then what stage is it, where is it in the body? And then we all meet on a, on a weekly basis, the whole lung cancer group. Um, we all meet and talk about our patients and discuss what stage is this, what we're dealing with, and what is the best approach to taking care of our patients. And that, that's what, uh, something we all do at Yale. And I think a lot of other cancer centers do this as well, where you know these, these types of diseases are sometimes complicated. And again, it's best approached as a, a multidisciplinary group where all the different specialties come together and talk about the, the different um, aspects of a patient's um, case and their care and, and decide the best approach. So I don't think going to one particular person, you should necessarily be worried you're going to just get the care that that person offers. Mm-hmm. At least if you come to a place that has, um, I think, the, the different aspects of the care, like someplace like Yale. And I think most places are like that as well. So, uh, so patients should really uh, at least expect or find out whether their care is going to be done in, in the context of this kind of interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary approach. That seems, seems like that's really important to have you all meeting and presenting the patients to each other. I think that really is important. I really do. I, and I don't know that you a patient necessarily has to meet all of those different specialists, but I think that should be something that at least is discussed with the doctor they're seeing. Does it make sense for me to see a surgeon? Do I need to see a radiation doctor? You know, or at least ask their doctor. They're saying, "Are you going to be discussing my case with a surgeon?" Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's it's somewhat straightforward. You know, really, surgery is not really going to be an option here. But at least that should be something that's that's thought about and and runs through the, the their their doctor's mind. Is is this an option for surgery? Is this something that could be removed with a surgery, um, and should be discussed? Mm-hmm. So. Um... You talked about staging being very important. What's involved in that? How do you find out where the cancer is? Right. So it depends on you know, the first the first step usually before before um, anything is done is usually scans. That's a lot of times how patients first know something is wrong. Maybe they have a symptom or sometimes they get a scan for another reason. But usually at some point they get either an X-ray or a CAT scan and something abnormal is found. And so that's part of the staging where we see a spot or sometimes doctors will call it a mass or a tumor and something abnormal is is seen. And that's part of the staging where we see a spot and sometimes we see more than one spot. And that tells us basically where the cancer is 
and tells us what stage it is. And the stage depends on a few different things. It depends on the size of the primary spot in the lung, in, in terms of lung cancer. And it also is important where it's spread. So if it's spread to the lymph nodes or if it's spread to another organ in the body. And so if, you know, if a patient comes to me and they've only gotten a CAT scan of their chest, sometimes I might want to get CAT scans or other scans of the rest of their body. Sometimes that's important in certain situations. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, we need to do some more um, searching to make sure we know exactly what we're dealing with. So occasionally, we need to do a procedure to make sure we know exactly where the cancer is because it's so important to get the stage right mm-hmm. to know exactly where the cancer is so we know that we're treating all of it. Um, so again, if I see a patient and I see a scan that shows cancer in one spot, I might send the patient to a surgeon to look to make sure it's not anywhere else hmm. in the chest um, to make sure it's not involved in the lymph nodes or, or in other areas. And what, what kind of procedure is involved there? Sometimes they're able to go in through the mouth and look in the middle of the chest, and sometimes they can do um, a procedure called a mediastinoscopy, where they'll make a small incision in the, the center of the chest and look at the lymph nodes there. Um, and lymph nodes is something that a lot of times patients will hear about when they hear about cancer. Cancer tends to jump to lymph nodes in lots of different types of cancers, um, and it's true for lung cancer as well. And so. Um, it's really important in a lot of cancers to examine the lymph nodes in the local area. And so that's something that occasionally, or actually fairly often, will will recommend looking at. You know, if you see a spot, do we we often will want to know if it's also in the lymph nodes. Hmm. Uh, now, you mentioned that there's different kinds of lung cancer. I, I think that that's something that uh, the public just thinks of lung cancer as a big black box mm-hmm. or one thing. So can you tell us a little, little bit about that? Sure. So it's interesting. Even maybe 10 years ago, we used to think of lung cancer as just two different types of, of things. So even a while ago, we knew it was more than one thing. So, But you, a few years ago, we called it really two main things, non-small cell and small cell. So we knew there were at least two types. Small cell was called small cell, really, because when you look under the microscope, they looked like small cells. That's really the only reason. It has nothing to do with the size of the spot you see on the Mm -hmm. scan. It's really because the cells looked small, so small cell. And then everything else was non-small cell. So uh, not very creative naming there, but that's what they called it. Um, And then that was really the end of it. And then along the years, it became more important to be even more specific than that. And then you'll hear more doctors referring to other types of of lung cancer. So small cell is still just small cell. That's the only subset there. But under non-small cell, there's actually several types. The most common type of non-small cell is adenocarcinoma. And that's actually the most common type of lung cancer in general. Um, And you can hear adenocarcinoma in a lot of other types of cancer too. So you can have adenocarcinoma of the breast or of the colon, or of the pancreas. You can have adenocarcinoma in a lot of other organs, too. But adenocarcinoma in the lung is the most common type of lung cancer. And then another kind of non-small cell lung cancer is squamous cell lung cancer. And again, squamous cell can be found in other organs of the body, too. But again, it can be found in the lung. And there's other kinds, too, but those are the most common. So those are some of the things that, that you might hear when talking about the type of lung cancer. And again, those are all things that a pathologist will say he see he or she sees when he looks under the microscope at the biopsy. So that's all information you get when you look under the you get a biopsy, you look at the tissue under the microscope and the pathologist says 
this is what I see, and so that's what the type is. And that's really important because it helps someone like me, a medical oncologist, know the best type of treatment for the cancer because there's subtleties in the best type of medicine to give for each of these, and um, that that helps us know the, the best type. And then that was really the end of what we would need to know for the type of cancer up until really maybe about eight or 10 years ago. And then over the last couple of years, it's become really important to even go a few steps beyond that. So that was the end of the type then. And now we get into what's called the molecular diagnosis of the lung cancer. So not just the type of lung cancer, meaning what you see under the microscope, but even a step beyond that. So what mutations the cancer has in it. And that you can't see under the microscope. That you have to analyze the DNA or the genes of the lung cancer. And um, we know that especially the adenocarcinoma type of lung cancer tends to have mutations in it. And if we can find some of those mutations, sometimes we can use particular treatments that can be really helpful for patients. So that's also something we're doing. And um, it's very important to, to look at those mutations when we uh, make a diagnosis of lung cancer for patients. Hmm. So uh, again, from the patient's perspective, they're going to be interested in finding out, uh, you know, do I have cancer? Um, how far has it spread? Mm-hmm. What does it look like? And they should also ask, does it have any mutations? Right. So, um, and, and you know, when we talked about staging, we didn't really even talk about what the stages were. And that kind of gets into we should talk when we talk about mutations. So there are four stages, one through four. It's true for most of the solid tumors like lung cancer and colon cancer. And it's the stage four that is uh, mainly what I specialize in when I use chemotherapies and targeted therapies and, and things. Um, the stage four is really when it's the, the cancer has gone beyond the chest, beyond mm-hmm. the, the lungs and the lymph nodes. And that's really the stage when it's very important to know the mutations. Um, and the reason is that the targeted therapies can be very helpful in that stage. Mm-hmm. And that's when the mutations are important to know about because we can use those medicines. So so yes, yeah, so when, when a patient's diagnosed with lung cancer and they have it beyond just in the chest, so it's called a, a stage four, um, then the mutations are, are really important. Um, and and I, I think of it as, as just as important as it is to know that it's lung cancer and to know what the stage is, is, is as important as it is to get those mutations for, for certain types of lung cancer, specifically the adenocarcinoma type. Mm-hmm. Don't you sometimes use uh, some of these treatments, even if it's in the chest, to shrink the tumor to make the patient's more optimal for surgery, or am I mistaken about that? Not really the the targeted therapy types with the muta- for the mutations. Not mm-hmm. really yet. There's a lot of studies looking at that. Mm-hmm. So you know, and that's something we can talk about. Uh, patients who are interested in, in trials and ha- when someone might be thinking about a clinical trial. But right now, um, the, really, the only times we think about um, the targeted therapies are, are for patients with stage four cancers. Mm. Do you ever use chemotherapy to shrink up the tumors to start with, or? We do sometimes. Am I dating myself? <laughs> we do sometimes. Usually if a patient has a, a cancer in the chest that a surgeon thinks he could take out, that's usually the first step we do. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we you will use chemotherapy afterwards. Gotcha. But not mm-hmm. so much beforehand. Not usually beforehand. There are some cases where we do, but usually not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for small cell cancer, the chemotherapy is usually a, a major part of treatment. Assignment. That's true. So it's actually pretty rare for small cell lung cancer that we do surgery. Um, small cell lung cancers are really treated pretty differently than non-small cells. They're actually more rare, the small cell type. Um, 
but we do see them quite a bit, um, especially at a, a big hospital like Yale. We'll mm-hmm. see we see quite a bit of the small cell type, um, but they they just act differently than the non-small cell type, and the surgeries don't tend to be as successful for them. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, we still will do them when they're very small, mm-hmm. when it's a small small cell. But they they tend to um, to actually be patients usually do better with the chemotherapies and sometimes radiation. Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, a science-led biopharmaceutical company dedicated to elevating conversations about biomarker testing to improve outcomes for advanced cancer patients. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. There are many obstacles to face when quitting smoking, as smoking involves the potent drug nicotine, but it's a very important lifestyle change, especially for patients undergoing cancer treatment. Quitting smoking has been shown to positively impact response to treatments, decrease the likelihood that patients will develop second malignancies, and increase rates of survival. Tobacco treatment programs are currently being offered at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital. Smilo Cancer Hospital's tobacco treatment program operates on the principles of the U.S. Public Health Service Clinical Practice Guidelines. All treatment components are evidence-based and therefore all patients are treated with FDA-approved first-line medications for smoking cessation, as well as smoking cessation counseling that stresses appropriate coping skills. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Now, um, are all of these cancers caused by smoking? And f- for non-smokers like me, are we sort of clear that I'm never going to have to worry about people like you? Right. So it's a, it's a really interesting question. So usually people will think, you know, smoking causes lung cancer and otherwise that that's not, not, not possible. But it's actually not true. So smoking is a really big risk factor for lung cancer. But we know that there are people who smoke a lot and don't get lung cancer. And we also know that people could not smoke at all and get lung cancer. No, so that's just not right. It's possible though. So I've you know, my in my practice I've seen patients who have never smoked a day in their life and really don't have much secondhand smoke exposure either and they still get lung cancer. And sometimes young patients. Hmm. So it does happen. Um, and we don't really know why. It's not like it's not clear they have an obvious other, you know, environmental exposure that puts them at risk for for cancer. So it happens, just like they they can get any other cancer. Um, so it's rare. It's not, not very common, but it can happen. So still, smoking can lead to lung cancer, but it's not, it, there must be something else that we just don't know about in the environment or, or otherwise. So... Um, it's, so it's still possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there must be some genetic factors, family factors, or there not so much? There may be, but it's not really so clear what they are. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, why don't you give us some examples of some of these exciting newer therapies? Yeah. Uh, I think people have heard in general about surgery, and they have a general idea about radiation, and everyone's afraid of chemotherapy, of course. I think yeah. You know, from bad old days when chemotherapy was a lot more toxic, we mm-hmm. didn't know how to handle side effects. But they may not be so familiar with some of these other things you're yeah. talking about. Right. So I said this before, and it really is true. It's such an exciting time for lung cancer research and, and the new treatments right now. We've had several new um, treatments approved by the FDA in the last year or two for lung cancer. And that's really a huge thing because in the last 10, 20 years, there have been very few treatments approved. So in it, 
just that in the last year there have been several is a huge advance. Mm-hmm. It really means that there's been um, major improvements in, in treatment and really in, in the recent years. So, um, and, I, and I said this before, but I'll just reiterate because it really is such a big change in the way we think about lung cancer. So until very recently, we used to have just chemotherapy as a medication to treat lung cancer. And a lot of people say to me when I see them, when I see patients, they say, what is chemotherapy? So it really is just a medication that kills cancer cells. It's a toxic medicine. There's different types of chemos, but it's, it's a general term for medicine that kills cancer cells. And so that really was all that we had until recently for lung cancer, although there are several types, and there's been different ones that have been approved over the years. And as you say, chemo has gotten better over the years. We've, they, they've got, the, the chemos themselves have gotten better in terms of how well they work and also how well we've been able to manage the side effects. So chemo is better than it used to be for sure for lung cancer. But now we have different types of medicines, not even just chemotherapy. So the two other classes of drugs we have now are the targeted therapies and the immune therapies. And they're very different from each other and from chemo. So the targeted therapies are just as they sound. They target the, the tumor specifically. So they, they're trying to be smarter than chemotherapy. So chemo, like I said, is a, a toxic drug that kills cancer cells, but it's not specifically for the cancer cell. So it, it's a poison in general. The targeted therapies are trying to target something specific about the cancer cell. And that's why it's important to find those mutations. So when you find a mutation, that's an abnormality that's specific to the cancer cell. And it's an abnormality that makes the cancer cell what it is. It drives the cancer to grow and be abnormal. And so if you can block that with a targeted therapy, it makes the cancer cell die. Hmm. And that's why these drugs work so well. Um, so when you find the mutation and you have a targeted therapy that matches that mutation, it can work incredibly well. Um, so that's been a huge advance in lung cancer treatment over the last couple of years. Well, are there um, are there medications for all of the mutations that you find? So not yet. There are mut- there are medications for several of the mutations, um, but not all of them. So we do find mutations, and for example, we have there's a mutation called KRAS. It's unfortunately the most common mutation we find in lung cancer, but we don't yet have a targeted therapy for it. Mm. But after that, there are several other mutations. There's something called EGFR, something else called ALK, ALK, and there's several other ones where we do have targeted therapies. Um, and they can work incredibly well. What does that mean, incredibly well? Right. So when I see a patient, and I, I just had a patient very recently who had a lot of had new diagnosis of lung cancer. It was in several places in his body, felt pretty sick from it, had shortness of breath and cough. He was losing weight, felt pretty terrible. And I started him, so he had a biopsy, found to have this EGFR mutation. So like I said, I always check for this when I see a patient like this. Um, and he started on one of these targeted therapies, an EGFR blocker, um, EGFR inhibitor. And within about a week, all of his symptoms started to get better. Hmm. So his shortness of breath got better, his cough was better, he hadn't been doing the things he normally was doing, he usually goes out with his friends, goes out to dinner, golfs, back to doing all these activities. So it can be life-changing within a week or two. Um, And it also, besides the immediate symptom improvement, it helps people live longer, live better, get back to the things they like to be doing. I mean, it really is life-changing for people. Hmm. So. And how long can such a response to this treatment last? Right. So it can last in some people for many years. Wow. It's not always that effective. In some people, it's 
much less. They can develop resistance like right. antibiotics and bugs. Exactly. So you know, a lot of my patients will, will always ask me that. And it's important sure. to, to talk to patients about what they can expect from their treatments. In most patients, they have very good symptom improvement and shrinkage of the cancer pretty quickly. So it usually works very well. But the, the issue you bring up of how long does it work for, that's one of the the problems with it is that at some point, usually this resistance develops and things start to grow again. But how long it works for is very variable. So in some people, it can work for a long, long time. And in some people, it's much less. We don't really know why some people it works a long time and some people less. It's actually one of the things we're really trying hard to, to study at Yale and many other places, too, trying to understand why in some people it works really well for a long time and some people less. Um, so, you know, and, and the patient that I just saw asking the same thing, this is great. I feel so great. How long is this going to work for? And I said, I, you know, I, I don't know. But we watch, we watch closely. We get scans every couple of months. And if symptoms develop, we get scans then. And the good thing is that as research goes along, we now have the next generation of drugs. So when resistance develops for most or many patients, we have another generation of drugs that then often will work even when the first one stops working. So... Mm. You know, we didn't used to have that, and that's another new development in lung cancer. So it's actually pretty exciting that as, as things go along, things are changing, and, and new drugs are coming along that, that can really help patients. And are these drugs used by themselves or with chemotherapy? So that's been studied. We used to use them a lot of times with chemotherapy, and then the research has now shown us that they actually can work very well on their own. So we use them on their own. So you can still have chemotherapy in your back pocket. Yep, that's exactly right. At the end. Yep, I mean, and I often the will end, do that. I mean, no, down the road. Right, exactly. So I often will use it. I, well, we use it first because, like I said, it works so well for most patients really quickly. The targeted therapy. Yep, the targeted mm -hmm. therapy. And then when it at some point when it stops working, whether that's in you know a year, two years, five years, whenever it is, then I'll say, well, you know, the targeted therapy isn't working. Let's see how chemo does. And often that will work very well, too, for patients. So that's exactly right. You have it in your back pocket. And that's are right. the targeted therapies given as infusions or are they orally administered? So they're pills. They're pills. So chemotherapy, for the most part, is exclusively intravenous. They're IV medicines given every couple weeks, but the targeted therapies are all pills, which is hmm. also a very nice thing cool. about them. Yeah. yeah. So we hear a lot about these, something called immune therapies. Yep. What's that about? Right. So that's the, the third class of, of um, medications that we have for lung cancer now, and now also for other cancers. Um, so that works totally differently than these other ones. So that's actually not even trying to fight the cancer directly. That's trying to allow your own immune system to fight the cancer. Um, and, and the idea, and this is the way I explain it to my patients, is your own immune system should be able to recognize cancer and fight it, just like it recognizes viruses and bacteria and fight those. The problem is that cancer is very smart and puts up its defenses and doesn't allow the immune system to attack it. And so what these drugs try to do is take down those defenses so now your immune system can attack it. Um, and so these drugs have been in development for several years, and they just are now starting to get approved over the last year or two. And in lung cancer, we've seen now the third of these drugs have just been has just been approved um, in the last couple of weeks. So now we have three of these drugs approved, um, and it's it's incredibly exciting. You know, we have three drugs now that we have that we can use to treat our patients. Um, we've been using these drugs at Yale for five years or so, because we have, we've had them on clinical trials. So we've been using them in patients. And so we've now had this nice experience where we've, we've had several years of, of experience treating patients. And we've seen wonderful responses where you know, tumors shrink away. And the, I think probably one of the best parts we've seen about it is that 
these responses can last for a really long time in some patients. It doesn't work for everyone. So I think that that's the frustrating part for, you know, of course, for patients and for, for us doctors is that it doesn't work for everyone. And we're still trying to sort out who it works in and who it doesn't work in. Um, but when it does work, it can often work for a very long time. I think that's the really um, exciting and, and encouraging part is that when you see a response, when you see the cancer shrinking, it's you're, you can be really optimistic that that response is going to last. And often patients feel really well on it. The side effects tend to be less than with chemotherapy, um, and, and it can be a, a really great quality of life for patients. So how do you choose between this targeted therapy thing and one of these immune things? Right. So this gets tricky. It's something I think a lot of us in the field debate about, which one you use. You know, I think the targeted therapies have probably, a, well, they definitely have a higher chance of working because... If you have the right mutation. If you have the right mutation, mm -hmm. right. So if, right. So that's a great point. If you have the mutation, if, so if you don't have the mutation, you wouldn't use the targeted therapy. If gotcha. you have the mutation... I think most of the most oncologists would still use the targeted therapy because you have such a high chance of it working. But then there's this issue of resistance developing. So, but if you can get a response with the immune therapy, you have this high chance of a long-term benefit. So it's this it's a trade-off of a, a high chance of a response with resistance at some point versus a long-term benefit. And I think this field is evolving and we're going to learn more as the years go on and I think this is a big reason why a lot of us are very invested and in, and in, and in really dedicated to doing clinical trials and trying to answer these questions because we're not positive what really the right way to do this is. Dr. Sarah Goldberg is assistant professor of medicine and medical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in both audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.